Hello listeners and welcome to NG Meets episode 19. This week's guest is Matt Turner, chairman of Nottingham Cycling Campaign Group Pedals. Um, I finally had a chance to sit down with Matt recently and we had a chat about um, how public transport played such a key role in him moving to Nottingham after he finished travelling around the globe. We also talked about you know, the importance of a good cycling infrastructure to get more people cycling and just to make our streets better in general, and the vast difference between the infrastructure for various different places in just in Nottinghamshire. Um, I mean, I'm someone who sort of came back to cycling this year, so this made this very interesting to me. But I'm lucky in that I have a fantastic cycle route that takes me pretty much from home to uh, to work and into Nottingham. But I've cycled around other parts of Nottinghamshire and it is nowhere near as good and it can be quite off-putting. And many people, as Matt said, there are people out there that won't cycle because of the routes they will have to take in. And we talk about that. We talk about some of the the sort of areas that definitely need improvement, whether Matt thinks that improvement's coming. So it was great to sit down with Matt. It's great to chat to him. If you want to know more about pedals, you can find them at pedals.org.uk, and that you know they have events and get-togethers. There's loads of information. If you whether you're a cyclist or whether you're someone that's considering it, uh, there's news. There's always information on the campaigns they've got running. Uh, I sort of first discovered pedals when they uh, were in the paper with regards to an incident around a um, sort of bike gate thing in uh, near a tram stop which we talk about in the episode but they've got other things going on and we as I say we discuss some of those campaigns and the impact they've had and also the importance of keeping going so I want to get into that in a minute before I do don't forget to give us a follow on twitter at ng digital uk and uh, check us out on facebook at ng digital and of course all episodes are available at ngdigital.podbean.com on iTunes, Podcast Addict and your usual uh, podcasting app so if you haven't checked us out before maybe go back after this episode and check out some of our recent ones this is the fourth episode of the sort of most recent run Um, we've also had on uh, Sam Harris from Extinction Rebellion Nottingham Johnny Irwin, a director of Nottingham Forest Football Club as well as a a TV producer, actor, director and last week's guest, of course, was Jethro, our fellow podcaster, who runs the fantastic Knots Rockcast, which I massively recommend you check out. Uh, that's a brilliant podcast, especially if you're into the alternative music scene. And he has some fantastic chats and some great music on there. So their past episodes, we've got all previous 18 episodes of the podcast available there. You can follow us to keep track of it, subscribe to the show so you get to know when the latest episodes are out first at the end of the episode i'll let you know what we've got coming up Uh, but for now this is ng meets episode 19 with matt turner of pedals
I'm here today with Matt Turner, who joins us from Pedals. Hello. Hello. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. No problem. Thanks for having me. No worries. And uh, just to start things off then, if you'd want to sort of give us a brief introduction into who Pedals are. Yep. Well, Pedals is a cycling campaign that has been around in Nottingham for just over 40 years now. So longer than I've been alive. Um, and I uh, almost a year ago took over as chair of pedals after moving to Nottingham um, after moving to Nottingham just over a year ago so I'm new to the city I'm new to pedals I've been involved in other cycle campaigns in other cities around the country and I'm continuing sort of I'm continuing that involvement here in Nottingham excellent so was it something then you when you moved to Nottingham you kind of actively went look you know you were looking for cycle groups to get involved in? Uh, yes, I think so. So before me and my partner moved to Nottingham, we were travelling around Europe uh, by bicycle. Right. So we took some time off work and we lived in a tent and we cycled all over Europe doing this sort of nomadic lifestyle of you know free-spirited travellers, which was amazing. And then come back to the UK and we had to decide the place that we wanted to live in. So we, we knew that we wanted to live in a medium-sized city somewhere away from the southeast of England, where you know, expenses were a little bit more normal. And we chose Nottingham. And we chose Nottingham because of what we saw, because of what we saw as the sort of progressive transportation and public yeah. space policies that we saw coming out of the city council. Things like the workplace parking levy, things like the pedestrianisation of the city centre, and the cycle path along, along Castle Boulevard, we saw these sorts of things and we saw a local city council getting on with things and yeah. taking the initiative to make things happen in the city. And that was the kind of place you wanted to live. So we ended up in Nottingham. And of course, when I came here, you know, let's see what the local cycle campaign is about. Went along and that's how I got involved. Excellent. I think it's quite interesting there, um, hearing how important the, the transportation and the cycling was to your decision to move here because i think a lot of people um you know especially people that have have been lived here you know all their life been here all their life it's kind of like secondary thought and maybe not enough realization into how much of an appeal progressive transport systems can be to people looking for somewhere to live you know for most of us it's just well this is how i get to work or into town but when people it is probably more now than ever and getting more and more important every year people it's right up there and things people are looking for in the same way that, you know, schools and, as you said, costs and things like that. Are... So so we're still in the UK. We're still a long way behind yeah. a lot of other cities <laughs> around the world. But in comparison to the other cities in the UK, I think Nottingham is ahead of the curve. And I know that, especially recently, other cities have been looking at Nottingham with envy. With You've got this extra revenue scheme, revenue extra revenue stream, from the workplace parking levy, and you use that to pay for public transport, an extension of the tram line. That's amazing. We want this too. But Nottingham was the first. Nottingham's pioneered it, and Nottingham took the, the political risks and the difficult political decisions to raise that extra income to invest in the city. And that's the kind of city I want to live in. It's not just about cycling. No. It's, it's bigger than that. It's about saying we want to do good things for our city and we're, we're willing to take that leadership and to, to make them happen. And I really like that about Nottingham. I think yeah. that, 
Yeah, and it's very interesting what you say about the the work the workplace parking levy because obviously that was extremely controversial when it of was course. announced. The in the tram system as a whole, the extension especially, and was um, a big issue because it in the midst of that, there became obviously there was a change in uh, government, you know, in charge, a change in Broxstow, which is where the a huge part of the 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 sort of extension goes through. And it was a very controversial issue. I know I live on the the extension route in Chilwell, and I know how how heated that debate. I mean, I'm I I love it. I don't use it so much now. But I'm back into cycling, but it's I think it's great to have. And uh, and but I know it was a it was took a lot. I think to keep pushing that through. And I say that like you said, the workplace parking levy was sort of um, an initiative that. Like was controversial and hadn't been tried. I think I'm not sure if anywhere has. I know other places have talked about introducing it in different parts of the country, but it, it took a lot. I think it was, a, it was a brave step because obviously there's quite powerful companies not particularly keen on it either in, in the city because ultimately the costs fall on them or you know pass on to their employees. Yes, but it's it's not something that we're very used to, I don't think, in the UK. Local government effectively raising their own taxation, yeah. local taxes, that doesn't really happen anywhere. It's far more common you know, in other countries, but not really here. But you know, with everything that's happening with central government, with the everything that's happened with austerity, we need to start thinking about other ways of raising, raising income yeah. locally so we can continue to invest in our cities and continue to you know, make make improvements and you're saying about uh, people being unhappy about the tram line going into uh, going through Beeston and Chilwell people people want things to improve and people want things to be better but people really hate change yeah but you're gonna have to have change to make improvements so yeah yeah hopefully yeah. you make those right decisions and hopefully there's some leadership who are willing to consider things carefully and make those right decisions and push the city forwards definitely yeah. and I, I think for the most part now it's settled down the, the tram seems to have at least won a large chunk of the people over obviously it's never there's always going to be issues when you on such an epic project that took up you know meant a lot of disruption a lot of and unsurprisingly ran on far longer of course, than it was meant to, and and you won't. I, you know, sympathy for businesses and things that were affected. Yeah, but as you say, you these these changes can't just appear. You know, you can't just say, "Well, here's a tram," and yep. drop it in. It's a process, along with, and it's I personally think I think it's done good for, you know, hopefully it's got cars off the road. It's it seems to be increasing passenger numbers every year. I think it's so, a good thing for Nottingham. I think if you go back, I'm getting figures off the top of my head, 50 or 60 years, there was a much more extensive tram network mm. in Nottingham and also in other cities around the UK as well. But at some point in the past, we decided that public transport infrastructure wasn't for us. We decided we would take those tram lines out. We'd take that public transport away and we would use that space to cater for private motor vehicles. So for the past 50 years, that's what we've been doing. We've been stripping away this public transport infrastructure and replacing it with reallocating the road space to private motor vehicles. 
and that's so sad that's ha that's happened in cities across the UK they used to be tram networks in all the cities yeah. and they were well used and then 50 60 years ago the political leaders said the trams are outdated we don't really want trams anymore let's reallocate the road space to cars because we can get more cars along the road if we don't have trams there and I saw that same thing played out in Sheffield the city where I previously lived yeah where we've built a, tr a tram network has been built in Sheffield in the last um, 25 years, I think it is. But Sheffield used to have such an extensive tram network. It was ripped out after the Second World War, and now it's come back be be because people realise the value it brings to your cities. Yes. Yeah. I think uh, one of the things to say, I, I'm, I've always lived in Nottingham, so potentially in a certain way, in terms of public transport, maybe been a little bit spoil because i think nottingham as well what you don't realize unless you're to other parts of the country it's been very well served in terms of buses for example i think it's one of the only places that has a council run uh, bus service in nct as well obviously as as trent barton as it is i think and, so uh, so it's more akin to perhaps london than yeah. any, any other cities in the uk yeah and I know from my experience of living in more rural areas, uh, down in Kent, which is where I'm originally from, that uh, bus bus travel is is something that is is extremely inconvenient. If you want to travel by bus, then you're having to sacrifice your convenience. Yeah, it's fairly or very expensive for you to choose to travel by bus, and it's not something that many people will choose to do out of choice. You're sort of forced into it. And that's not how we should be designing our public transportation systems. They should be the, the first choice, the easiest choice, the most convenient choice for us. And I think that's how we'll get public transport ridership up and yeah. increasing. I think as hap has happened in Nottingham, maybe. I'm not sure. But yeah, we need to make the decisions that we want the people in our cities to make as easy for them to make as possible. And we need to dissuade people from making those decisions which which hurt or are harmful to our city. Yeah. For instance, discouraging people from driving through the city by making public transport and cycling and walking the, the sort of convenient first first choice options that you want them to be. Rather than trying to persuade people you should really go on the bus because it's better for the environment. Well, we can instead say you should really go on the bus or tram or cycle because it's the easiest way, yeah. it's the quickest way, and it's the cheapest way. Yes. And yes. Which, um, coming back around then, obviously, um, to cycling, as pedals are the representative of. And I do think, I know you said it was one of the key reasons you moved to Nottingham, one of the key points. And it is definitely something, as someone that personally sort of only came back to cycling in the last couple of years after quite a long time the improvements in Nottingham especially on the side of Nottingham I'm from so coming through where you come in from sort of the outskirts of city through Beeston that kind of way I've been remarkable from what it when I used I mean when I used to cycle in it was there was a it was all horrible roads and you know sort of cycling along sort yeah. of nervously a lot of the time I can, and now I can I can get into my work barely touching the main road 
So, so I live in the same part of Nottingham as you do. I live yeah. in Lenton Abbey. Okay, yeah. And I work in the city centre. And I'm able to cycle in from, it might be three miles away, without sharing the road with motor vehicles. Yeah. And that's, abs- that's incredible for a UK city to be able to make a journey of that distance into the city centre without having to share the road with, with motor traffic. Because that's what makes, in the UK, that's what makes cycling unpleasant and yeah. stressful and not inviting to people. It's that, it's having to share busy roads where there's a high volume of motor traffic or motor traffic's going at high speed. You don't really don't want to share the carriageway with that traffic. And that's what puts people off cycling everywhere yeah. around the UK and in most cities around the world, you know, let's be honest. Um, and there are some parts of Nottingham, especially along the route that we live yeah, on, the, the Western Cycle Corridor, where we have a glimpse of what it could be like, where your journey into town is relaxing and calming yeah. and really just really nice. It's just really nice. It's yeah. how it should be. But there are other parts in the city that are less well served. Yeah, I was um, And those are the sorts of places that I tend not to go, especially by bike anyway. Um, I'll get the bus or something like that, or I'll get the tram, but I'll probably try not to cycle them, um, just because if the cycle paths aren't there and you see on the map that there's a busy road, I don't, I, I just don't want that. I've been spoiled by yeah. cycling to work along the Western Cycle Corridor, um, and I find now when I have to cycle along busy roads, I feel, I feel stressed and anxious. Yeah, I was going to make that same point, actually. I was, as I say, as someone who has only been sort of recently come back to cycling and have, and most of my cycling is the commute to work and back, you know, and I, you know, I occasionally go out, but it's always pre-planned where I'm going to go. Because I don't have to, like you say, I can get to work, because I work on Castle Marina, <clears throat> which means I can go either straight along the canal or I can follow, which is probably a similar route to you, which is up, you know, University Boulevard, uh, Castle, and the new, the newish sort of cycle route along Castle Boulevard. Because I can do all that, I'm, like you say, I'm, I'm kind of now in a position where probably nervous of going on a road, yeah. almost, because I don't do it. I use, I mean, I used to live in Stapleford, and I used to have to cycle up Derby Road which was horrible because you had to share it with a bus. Yep, yep. Uh, bus. And I know you can say, well, you use the bus. And it's like, there's not many things more terrifying than a bus flying alongside you. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 <laughs> buses are the largest vehicles, some of the very largest yeah. vehicles on our roads. Um, and they tend to travel at a similar speed to bicycles, except they start and stop a lot. Mm. So if you're cycling, then you will tend to get overtaken by a bus and then it will stop at a stop in front of you. So you, as somebody on a bike, will have to overtake it. And yeah. then it will overtake you. And if you're sharing the same space, there's just so much conflict there. And especially with buses, which are they're really big vehicles, um, they, I would argue, don't mix very well. It doesn't, they no. don't make very happy neighbours. Um, yeah. And you're always anxious, like you say, when one does go past you and pulls up. I'm, I'm, I was always anxious that obviously they're going to pull off at the, you know, time that I'm trying to overtake or something like that. Yeah. Um, you you mentioned that you really like cycling to work, doing your commute. 
um, and that sometimes going off that route is more difficult. I think that that's a really important point because a lot of the cycling that is done in the UK by uh, people who are cycling for transport is to and from work. Yeah. But there are so many more journeys that people in the UK make. Journeys to school, journeys to go to the shops, journeys to see friends, journeys taking children to children's clubs. And these are the sorts of journeys which are much more complex than simply going from your home to work back yeah. to your home. They're, they're change journeys. These journeys to go to the school to drop the kids off and then pick something up at the shops and then go back home. And these journeys, when we go from A to B, like we do, going to work, you can plan your journey and it's you become familiar with it and it's quite easy. But these more complex trips, they're, they're much harder for people to make by bicycle because they're much harder to plan. And quite often these complex trips are made by um, mothers and children. And these are the sorts of journeys that our cities are not catering for to be made by bike at the moment because we're investing in these routes for people to uh, to allow people to cycle along, but we're not necessarily building the complete network that is needed to enable everybody to make these complex trips by yeah. bikes. There's still an element of planning that you have to do. And you see that from schemes that the council run, where you have individual travel planning, where you have people helping you to plan a nice route to your destination that you can use regularly. And publishing cycling maps as well so you can get the map out before you leave your house work out which routes and streets you're going to take and then then follow that route um, but it's very different if you drive in a car because then the council don't publish a car map for nottingham yeah because there is a complete network for cars that exists in the city and it's signposted and it's not like you're going to drive along the road and then suddenly you get end up on a rail track that you can't drive along because there are trains coming <laughs> along there but it's sort of like that with bikes you can drive along a, you can you can cycle along a cycle path and then end up on a road where you really where it's really quite scary to cycle so we're not yet at that stage where it's simple for people to make uh, their everyday journeys by bike unless you do this sort of pre-planning and i think that sort of disadvantages certain um certain journeys from being made by bike, especially these more complex trips that women tend to make. Yeah. And you can't do that. Well, the only thing that will enable that is, I think, a, a more comprehensive cycling network. And do you think we're going in the right direction towards that? I hope so. I hope so. But we still have this, this idea that we will build, um, I think, in the routes independent of each other and we don't realize the value that comes from building a complete grid of, of routes a complete network and i think that research from the netherlands in the early 1990s when they started building their cycle infrastructure on a grand scale um i think their their research bears this out, where they found that in cities where they built simply routes to get you from A to B and didn't build the wider network, that the increase in cycling levels that they saw was much less than the cities who built an entire network. Yeah, um, You need an entire network to support all of the trips. That doesn't necessarily mean building 
uh, cycle paths on every street. It sometimes means that some streets need to simply carry less motor traffic. And you make it a one-way street, or you block off one end, or you route traffic away from it. I think what, what makes a cycle network is separate space on main roads, and then less traffic at a lower speed on the non-main roads. Yeah. And those form part of your cycle network as well. Yeah. Um, and I've got to say, I think Nottingham's pretty good at those. Um, those quiet streets, because so many of the, the housing estates that were built in the 40s and 50s are not, they don't cater for through traffic. Yeah, They're on the edge of yeah. these main roads and you haven't got very many cars rat running and driving through them. Definitely, so there are definitely places where they do, but not all of them. There's plenty that are pretty good. But then once you get to those main roads, that's where you need the protected space, like we have along Castle Boulevard that, and University yes. Boulevard. Yeah, and I think I mean Castle Boulevard in particular. I think it's, you know, I think I really like what they've done along there. University Boulevard, obviously, it's a sort of uh, split pavement cycling, but it's because it's wide, it's fine generally. I mean, there are other areas if you come down and sort of to in going into Beeston on to Queen Street, where you've got a similar thing, but it's a little bit more um, squashed, I would say. The shared space but also it's kind of because i think that's been a cycle split cycle path for a long time but it it kind of feels like it was a almost an afterthought where you've literally got like trees in the middle of the cycle path that you have to go around <laughs> it's just yeah. sort of painted a, a line around it but that i mean things like that you are quite dangerous because you've got you know, you've got blind corners and things like that that yeah and when you say it's an afterthought Things like this show you and it's an afterthought. I think that's that's true. It definitely is an afterthought because when these streets were built, they weren't built with enabling cycling in, in mind. And things have been retrofitted to it. Sometimes well, sometimes not so well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's different kinds of cycle infrastructure that we can have. So we can have what we've got on, on Casa Boulevard, which is space for cars space for bicycles and space for people walking yeah and then you can go to the other end where you've got a university boulevard and you have space for cars space for tram and space for walking and cycling mixed together and you call that when it's mixed together an unsegregated shared use footway so it's a footway a place that's designed for people walking but people cycling can also use it and these work okay when you haven't got you haven't got the density of people walking um, and you haven't got where you, where you don't have so many people walking that there isn't that conflict on yeah. those shared use footways but when you start to increase the number of people walking and you start to increase the number of uh, the places they want to go off of these footways so people are moving left and they're moving right and they're coming in and out of places then things start to get more complex and you will have more conflict between people walking and people cycling. So in places like that, that's where you need protected cycling infrastructure separate from people driving and separate from people walking. Yeah, and I think so, yeah. it's interesting as well. And I think that's one of the, obviously one of the reasons and one of the things I see a lot of uh, grumbling about from drivers is when cyclists cycle on roads when there's a cycle path, which they're fully within the rights to do. And I think that's exactly one of the reasons why yeah, because there are certain cycle paths where, you know, there are some where it's just a hassle because of roads where you 
that can, like I said, that can be blind corners where you, you know, you, or, and you say where, you know, it's particularly at certain times of day, for example, um, school time, school run time. <clears throat> so you say half past three, four o'clock on an afternoon, uh, somewhere like Queen's Road in Beeston, which is the, as you get further down that, where it's a lot narrower, but it is still a shared space. But when you've got, I don't know, 200 kids or, or whatever walking along there, yeah. it can be, you know, so difficult to cycle along. So I sort of, I think what you said sort of exposes some kind of like a bias here because those children could cycle to school. And just imagine if those 200 children were 100 of them walking and 100 of them cycling. The conflict that you would have in that situation is just unimaginable. Mm. They're, they're, it, the infrastructure simply wouldn't be able to support uh, these children making their journeys by bike just because it is because it's substandard because it wouldn't won't be able to cope with it and i like to talk about cycling infrastructure in terms of whether it enables people to make their journeys by bike i don't see it as something for cyclists i see it as something for the people of the city to yeah. use on their bicycles I see it as an enabling piece of infrastructure to allow more people to make their journeys by bike. And that's why I campaign. That's why I'm involved with groups like Pedals, because I want to see cycling being available to everybody, not just the fit and the brave and the fast and the young males who make the simple journeys to and from work along the same route. But I want to see cycling made available, enabled for everybody. Um, and to do that, I think we need good cycling infrastructure. We need to design our cities with cycling in mind. I think definitely. I mean, I, I from a personal point of view, you know, I'm not sure I would have gone back to cycling to work and back had I not lived somewhere that was on such a suitable, you know, route. Had I been coming from, say, um, the other side of Nottinghamshire, you Sherwood, Sherwood, let's yeah, say, yeah, somewhere like that. Don't I probably would have not, not, yeah, not and gone it, back to it because I just wouldn't have felt comfortable. Yes, and it's really nice to see along the along the Western Cycle Corridor now. You get a much more varied group of people who cycle. You see kids cycling to yeah. and from school and college, and you see mothers, and you see, you see young teenagers, five of them out on their bicycles cycling along castle boulevard cycle track and it's great yeah and you don't see these sorts of things so much in other parts of the city where we haven't invested in that sort of cycle infrastructure um so cycle infrastructure i think does enable more people to make their journeys by bike and it's really nice to see in some parts of the cities where we've built it you're seeing those people yeah seeing people on whatever bike they have or they have been given or they have bought that's not some fancy bike and they're riding in normal clothes and it just looks like you're a normal, a normal person going about their business, not what we often talk about in the UK, which is a cyclist. Yeah. Someone who dresses up in the kit, someone who's got the fancy bike, someone who cares about cycling. I think a lot of the people who ride along uh, the Western Cycle Corridor don't care about cycling. It's just the most convenient, the best way to make their journey. Although it does become somewhat addictive. <laughs> I, have to admit. I, got, I say yeah. I started... And I, I used the, the cycle scheme, which is a fantastic initiative that companies can implement. 
um, where you get, um, I don't know how much you know about cycle scheme. Is that where you it's get a basically get a reduced a, price? Yeah, it's like you a can tax. pay it off from your from your wage. Yeah, so basically you apply for a, an amount of money from cycle scheme that, as you say, you pay is paid back out of your wages, but it's sort of fat free. Yeah, and so you get like say so you get it at a reduced rate, but it also spreads it out. I think that's a great initiative. It enables you to, you know, and it's not you not only to get your bike, but you can use it to get your kit and yep. everything. Uh, everything you need, but as, as soon as like, it didn't take long before I went from like this will do me to get to work about till I'm like looking at oh I can go for rides at the weekend and things like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I've got a friend that who cycles to work with me who is a big you know biker, so he, he does sort of mountain biking events and that. So that's probably played a part in it. But you and I think also like I say because I live. Back and cycling on the canal, so I'm used, you know, nice routes and things like that. And you realise, you know, we can follow the river the other way, go across it and around cliff, you know, and follow it around that way. Suddenly yeah. you start looking at, but again, as we said earlier, I'll sit there and I'll I'll look, at, I'll put routes into uh, Google Maps or something like that. And I'll be looking, I'm going, uh, no, I'm not going to do that one because too many main roads on it. Yeah, and it puts me off going to places I might want to go to. Yeah, that's right. cycle around the Netherlands you see so many people riding on the recreational paths that they have in the countryside you tend to see older couples riding on nice sort of swish fancy bikes loads of e-bikes so many e-bikes just following this endless network of recreational routes that they have in the countryside in the Netherlands and they're really nice to follow because because they have a complete grid. Every single junction on this grid, whether it's a crossroads or a, or a T-junction of, of the cycle network, not of a normal road, but of the cycle network, might be on a normal road, it will have a, have a number on it. And you're able to route yourself from number to number to number by following a sort of cycle by numbers thing. So you can set out in the morning, and you can plan a route before you go and you maybe you want to say you want to go from number 11 to number 15 to number 27 to number 13 and at every junction there'll be a signpost and it'll say which number is ahead of you which number is left which number is right and at every few of these there'll be a little map and it'll show you the local cycle network for the couple of kilometers around where you are and you can just choose where you go and it's so freeing yeah. to be able to simply set out in the morning and say I want to go over there and you just sort of go and there are signposts and there's going to be a network that will take you there on good quality infrastructure safely conveniently and away from motor traffic so it's going to be stress-free and people take to it in droves so many people cycle at weekends and evenings for recreation and leisure and it's something that you know good cycle networks do enable I think, and, and you, like you mentioned, the stress level there. And I think that is it because when you do 
are able to go and find yourself on a you know a quiet route away from traffic it, i find it one of the most relaxing and it's, it's a brilliant way to, to sort of put the stresses behind you because ultimately most and I know you know people go out cycling in the family, but even when you are, when you're actually cycling, you generally in your own head. You're just on your own. You know you're not generally having many conversations while you're actually cycling. You'll stop off, you know, have a have a cuppa or whatever. Yeah. And but it's it's you just and like I say, especially if you can get off the to the quieter areas, and it just feels yeah. almost like you know you can ride down parts of Nottingham where you you forget sometimes that you're in a city still. Yeah. So. You're saying about sometimes you're in your own head. The cycling infrastructure, if it's to a high enough standard, can allow you to experience social cycling, where you, you can ride alongside the people that you're cycling with, either that you've, you know, who you're making the journey with, that you know, or just people you happen to meet along the way. And if the infrastructure allows you to make those journeys side by side, then it becomes a really nice social act really nice social activity and that's something that we tend not to be able to do in the uk because we have we have the national cycle network but there tends to be off-road paths which are which often have people walking in as well and there's not enough space to cycles to often cycle side by yeah. side and have something coming towards you so and and in cities as well when you tend to have just painted cycle lanes at the side of roads it's very difficult to cycle side by side with a person com comfortably. You can do it if you want, but it's not. It tends not to be a very comfortable thing to do. But in the Netherlands, you can. And you just chat away for hours, and if the infrastructure supports it, then you can have really wonderful sort of you know a nice social ride, chatting with whoever you're cycling with. That's something that we that's very difficult to experience here yeah. in, the, in the UK. Although I think we, we kind of have a strange mentality where we don't talk to people when we're commuting anyway, yeah, don't we? Even yeah. on, you know, even on transport where you can. So, but, yeah. you know, like you say, I mean, you do, you do occasionally, I and mean, I've been out for rides, like saying when you get into, say, Clifton Woods or somewhere like that, if you ignore the fact there's a thing every 50 yards where you have to get off and push your bike through. Are those the barriers along yeah. the cycle path? Yeah. Um, well, other than that, there are bits where you like say you can ride yeah. side by side and have a bit of a catch up. It's it's interesting you bring up the barriers because you said you can just get off your bike and you can push it through and you know push your bike through. But there are a lot of people who could use bicycles as mobility aids to allow them to travel independently, who who it's it's a lot more difficult for them to dismount from their bicycle, yes. or even maybe impossible to discount, dismount from the bicycle and lift the bicycle up through the frame yeah. or whatever kind of barriers along the route. And what it what it means to put barriers along cycle paths is it means it stops people who can't drive from having independent mobility. It makes them reliant on either driving themselves or friends who drive to give them lifts or on public transport, which only serves certain routes. Yeah. And if you're not on any of those routes, well, then you're in trouble. And something that cycling can enable is, is really giving that independent mobility back to people who can't drive, whether it's just because they can't drive 
or because uh, they have a disability of some kind. But putting barriers on psychopaths simply it stops those sorts of people from being able to use this infrastructure, this sort of infrastructure that the, the sort of people who we really want to enable to make their journeys by bike, who it's perhaps most valuable, yeah. valuable for in terms of finance and fitness and health and social interaction and meeting with friends and things. No barriers on psychopaths. We should not be installing barriers on psychopaths. In fact, I think, I think one of the first times I recall sort of becoming aware of pedals as a group was actually in relation to um, an article about that same very thing. I think it was a barrier near a tram stop. Yeah, that's right. In uh, the south of a city yeah. going through Rushcliffe. Yeah. So there's a really nice cycle route that follows the new tram line in the south of a city. So as well as building the tram line, a cycle path was built and a footway was built along, a footpath was built alongside the tram line. So there are some great cycle routes alongside tram lines. But there have been some local residents who have uh, had problems with motorbikes driving along these cycle paths. And in response to that, the local council have installed barriers along the cycle path. And what that means is, it means that people who don't ride normal bicycles are now unable to use those routes. And they have to use the main roads that yeah. are, are, are the only alternative. So when we talk to people who say, well, I'm blind, I have zero independent mobility, but I go out cycling with somebody on a tandem on the back, and it's brilliant, I love it, but putting a barrier on the route means that it's impossible for me to go down here because we have to get off the bicycle, off, off the tandem bicycle, then we have to lift it over the barriers because it can't be manoeuvred through them. What that means is these people have lost lost some of their freedom. Yeah, and we shouldn't we shouldn't be doing that. Um, especially people who ride, uh, let's say, a tricycle because they're unable to balance, or people who ride recumbent bicycles, perhaps because of back problems, who can't walk very far. It prevents those sorts of people yeah. from being able to travel independently, uh, and that makes me really sad. Yeah, we shouldn't be doing that. No. And that's one of these things, isn't it, where they've they've tried to solve one issue and caused a bigger issue. <laughs> yeah, well, they've caused another issue, which is you know, um, preventing people from being yeah. able to use that sort of infrastructure. Um, yeah, it sounds like just one of those things that um, wasn't thought out beforehand, or or the or the right people weren't spoken to beforehand the right research wasn't done they just thought we need to stop these motorbikes let's put these up no one thought what what impacts that going to have on For, yeah, people that are supposed to be using this route the cyclists yes it's well especially the most disadvantaged exactly people, yeah yeah who often don't have a voice no. Yeah, who cycling could be such a huge enabler for them to improve people's quality of life yeah yeah and as you say it's you know you're limiting people's freedom there. Yes. So, yeah. and I say that, I mean, that's one of the, I think that's probably one of the first times I remember sort of um, coming across pedals as an organisation. And at that point, I didn't actually realise it was a Nottingham, Nottingham group. I certainly yeah. didn't realise it was 40 years old, which yeah. surprised me, which I guess, um, you know, I guess if you're not sort of, 
involved in cycling you, you probably wouldn't do i mean i i've seen since then i've seen sort of i've seen them around i've saw them at eastern carnival for example yeah. and uh and i've i guess because i'm a cyclist now i i'm yeah i'm more connected to that group and things well cycle campaigning across the uk and across the world is is going through a bit of a renaissance period at the moment where the next generation are coming in and are taking over from the old guard and are saying we shouldn't do things like this anymore we're not a campaign group for cyclists we don't campaign for better conditions for cyclists we campaign for better streets for everybody yeah for a better city where people have independent mobility where people are free to make their journeys by bicycle where people are free to make their journeys by bicycle not for cyclists but for everybody and often in the past uh, cycle campaign groups have been fairly blinkered into things that are just good for cyclists but you'll see it, but it's really it's really you need a, a a more holistic picture of the city in which you live there are things that are very important to do for public transport and for walking and for cycling and they all go hand in hand and cycle campaign groups are starting to transform themselves into organizations which campaign for better more sustainable transport in our city where cycling is just part of that part of one of one of the tools for a more happy and livable city yeah um it's not just about cyclists anymore and that's where i'm trying to position pedals we're still called pedals but i think our remit and the people we the 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 people we need to attract and the reasons why we campaign are for not are not for cyclists it's for people who can't imagine themselves riding bikes it's for people who i hit over here in the office who say i wish i could cycle to work but the roads are just too scary yeah that's who we that's who we campaign for so people who are unable to make journeys by bike at the moment and around the uk we've seen cycle campaign groups sort of try and start to realize this and reposition themselves and change the, the arguments they're using and the language they're using to focus on on the broader population, not just cyclists. Interesting. Yeah. Excellent. And I think another thing, obviously, you talk about the sort of younger guard coming in, and obviously the younger uh, people at the moment obviously are far more, it seems, attuned into the, the environmental crisis and climate mm. crisis, and obviously cycling and public transport as a whole is a massive part of ways we can look at addressing, uh, you know, carbon issues and things like that you know from by you know the improved bus transport we've got you know the improved buses bio yeah. buses things like that and of course cycling is probably along with walking as environmentally friendlier form of transport that you can get yeah so that so. makes that obviously the the are people we're getting people now that are coming out and they're actually you know young people actively out there raising these issues speaking yeah. at you know striking and you know and that's all ties in and again public transport cycling make and if you want more people to cycle you need to make it more well safer and more appealing to cycle that's right yep you need to make it more attractive yeah that's that's it so cycling is great for the environment 
but you tend to find you find that people not very many people are willing to change their transport mode just by persuading them that something is more environmentally friendly it has they have to want to change their the way they travel for a different reason and that's not a very compelling argument for changing a person's travel travel behavior it is for some of us it definitely is for some of us but not for everybody so enabling more cycling the environmental benefits are a huge part of the argument for why we should do it but they're not necessarily a good persuasive argument yeah. for persuading people to change their uh, change to change how they travel um, which is something that I think cycle campaigns are starting to realize we can't tell people you should cycle because it's better for the environment we need to tell people you should cycle because it's the most convenient choice and yeah. because the city has enabled it um, and we need to persuade the cities that they should invest in cycling and cycle infrastructure because it's good for the environment. There's a sort of, uh, you've got to be careful about conflating these two arguments. Um, there are different arguments you that uh, city planners and politicians need to hear versus persuading people to make their make more of their journeys by yeah. bike. Yeah, I think. Um, we've got to be careful to keep the two sort of slightly separate. Yeah, I yeah. Think, yeah. I mean, and you're right. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say that the environmental reasons were not the reason for my uh, change in cycling. There were, you know, reasons. I would argue large, largely were as much as I said, you know, I'm a supporter of the tram, for example. I did not enjoy, particularly enjoy travelling in to work on a packed tram every morning. Yep. And the and the cost, quite yeah. frankly, and the trams are—they oh, get so busy in yes, Nottingham now, do. especially from Chilwell. It's incredible. Yeah. And this is—I I come. I mean, and I'm only a couple of stops on from the the Toten Exchange. I mean, even by the time I get on there, so I got the tram this morning. Busy yeah. around, and there, I just there, like the. There is demand. If we create these opportunities for people to travel in a sustainable way and make it convenient. They will choose them. Yeah. As you can see by the tram, the tram didn't used to be there a few years ago. And now it's completely full up. I see that and I see, well, let's build more trams. Let's expand yeah. the tram. Let's expand the tram network. That's how I see that. Yes. If we want to enable more people to make their journeys by a public transport tram in this case, then we better invest in that. Um, oh yeah. yeah. I mean I'm all yep. for more of the tram. And yeah. quite frankly, and it's exactly what you said, while while the the cost was an issue for me because I save a lot of money traveling um, by bicycle. As I said, the, the sort of the freedom, I guess, that cycling gives as opposed to being on a busy yeah. tram. I quite like that sort of, yeah. uh, but I wouldn't have done any of that had I not known that I had good routes. Yes. Yeah. They, so I they... can say all this stuff and say, yeah, I did it for this, but I. I looked at it before and went, well, I can get to work along the canal or I can follow, for the most part, um, cycle route six. Yeah. It is. Had I been still living, for example, maybe in Stableford, I may have thought, oh, I'm not cycling. I don't really want to be cycling up Derby Road again. I mean, that's, I don't know. There's, there may be other routes now. So it's a long time since I lived there. And had I been living, like you said, Sherwood, even, you know, up Norway and things like that, we got come around some really bad islands and things like that probably wouldn't have made the same decision yes. 
yeah cycle infrastructure is an enabler yeah it allows people to make those choices a lot easier than they would otherwise you know be able to yeah yep. and obviously that as that's a key part of your your group's vision and now looking at some of the things you've been involved in and one of the big ones at the minute which arguably shows the i would say shows some of the uh, great work you guys can do has been with regards to Broadmarsh. So I know you, you were very unhappy with, with the initial sort of catering, the way cycling was catered in the initial plans. And I think you've managed to get some significant improvements into how cycling is going to be accommodated around yeah. the new uh, car shopping centre and bus station. Yeah, so the Broadmarsh development, not that I realised it at the time, is another one of these city council policies that we're fully be that well that I am fully behind. It's one of the reasons I moved to the city that the city is expanding the pedestrianised area of the city centre yeah. across Colin across Collins Street, Collins Street, which is a five lane wide motor traffic gyratory. One of the biggest mistakes that we made in the middle of the twentieth century, we decided that we were going to plow a five-lane motor traffic highway through the middle of our city centre. But now we've made the decision that that was a mistake and we are slowly repairing our city. We're taking that space away from private motor traffic. We're saying we don't want this much traffic in our city centre. And we're reallocating it to the people of the city so that people can enjoy their city without having... um, having loads of motor traffic buzzing past, causing fumes and noise and stress and danger. We're removing that and we're saying you motor traffic shouldn't be here, it should be on other roads, somewhere else in the city where it does much less harm to our city. And that's something I fully, fully, fully support. It's it's pretty incredible the changes that are gonna happen with the Broadmarsh scheme, especially moving the traffic away from the Broadmarsh gyratory roads. Um, but one of the roads will remain as a major bus corridor into and out and through the city. And we were very concerned when we saw that the space, which was, used to be full up with private motor traffic, was going to be allocated to buses and no space was going to be allocated to enable people to make their journeys by bike. So there were going to be no cycle paths through here. And we spoke about earlier about how often there's a lot of conflict between people cycling and buses because they're the biggest vehicles on the road and they stop and start and make all sorts of movements unpredictably, maybe. It's not a great cycling environment, cycling with lots of buses. And the road, is the road which is Canal Street, um, if you go down there and have a look, it's five lanes wide. There should be, there should be loads of space to be able to create a good bus corridor and a good cycling corridor and to provide excellent space for people walking. But for people cycling, there wasn't anything in the scheme for them. And I think that was a big mistake when the plans were drawn up. So we ran a campaign to ask people to write to their Nottingham City Council councillors to say, we think that cycle paths are needed on this road to enable people to make their journeys by bike, especially because it is in the city centre. It's next to the train station. It's at the end of the Western Cycle Corridor oh, that we spoke <laughs> about earlier. Cycle and it should, can, it should allow people to cycle into the city and through the city 
along a nice, good, high quality cycle path. And that's what we should be using some, some of this space that we're freeing up in our city for. And hopefully that's gonna happen. The city council have done a brilliant job at designing more world-class high quality infrastructure into Canal Street through, through the Broadmarsh scheme. They've done that really quickly. Um, it's pretty incredible to see when, when the officers at the council are given a steer from their bosses, the politicians, we want you to design in a cycle route and show us what it could be like. They can turn it around really quickly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty phenomenal. And in a couple of years, it, it could be there if they make the decision to build it. So it shows you what can happen if the political will is there and they want to make the decisions. So hopefully the Broadmarsh scheme will be another enabler to enable more people to cycle, to enable more people to cycle through the bus station, to and from the train station, to the new college that's being built there, and then on to the other side of the city where the BBC Island is, and then to the workplaces in the BioCity area. It's a key route. It will become a key route for cycling in the city centre. And it will enable a lot more people to make their journeys by bike. That's what I really want to see. It will be a brilliant outcome if it gets built. Really hope it does. I mean, it will do. But I just find it strange and almost staggering that it was not, you know, not integrated at the beginning of the project. In, so, you know. Sometimes we as campaigners see our local transport authorities as being one, one great big um block that's sort of all pulling in the same direction when in fact things are a little bit more complicated than that uh, complicated than that and there are different parties in the transport authority or in the city council who are sort of pulling in different directions yeah. there might be some people you talk to inside the council who are really on board and, and get it then there might be other parts of the council who who just aren't on, on the same page and they don't think about these sorts of things um, they haven't had that involvement in maybe transport planning for as long and it's just not a priority so things just get missed yeah and it's really it's it's a wake-up call for us as campaigners that we can't assume that because good stuff has come before that good well, stuff yeah. will keep coming we have to keep making that message we keep we have to keep giving the city council that message that cycling infrastructure is needed in all the projects not just some of them all the projects in the major regeneration projects, for instance, and it's not just something that the transport department will do. It's something that you know, your major project scheme departments will do when they're building, when they're re-pedestrianising parts of the city. Um, so yeah, it just kind of suggests maybe they need that. What's actually needed is in in any project like this is some kind of um, government or you know set guidelines that any project of this level must incorporate yeah you know cycle consideration for cycling consideration for walking consideration for buses yeah instead of just leaving it unfortunately we don't have any national minimum standards for cycling on the roads in the uk we've got guidance a guidance was published in 2008 and hasn't been updated since then We've got Highways England who look after the trunk road network. They've got some new cycling guidance. Wales have some national cycling, sorry, Highways England have cycling standards. 
Wales have cycling standards as well. And in the city, we've got a document which is a cycling strategy, cycling design guide, which should guide the approach that we take. But we as campaigners, us as a campaign group, we, we have to be constantly on the ball. We have yeah. to check that these things aren't being forgotten about and aren't being ignored. Uh, and that's something that, yeah, it's very important that we keep doing. Yeah, we, we were shocked when we saw the plans. Yeah, they didn't have good cycle infrastructuring because, of course, it will be there. Well, this is it, what especially as I say, when you've seen, you know, considering, like you said, it's practically off the end of the, um, the, the Western Cycle Boulevard on Castle Boulevard, which, you know, has been invariably invested in, a lot of work, great thing. You'd have thought, well, they've done that. If they're building right on top of that, effectively, they're going to want to carry on that good work. But it, like you say, different people involved in different areas. Especially when so much road space is being freed up. Especially yes. when the space is there, it's, you know, it's yeah, a five-lane gyratory. It's, it's, it's not like they've got to try and squeeze it in. <laughs> if yeah. It just takes a little bit of forethought and forward planning. So, um, what, what, so there's obviously that's one of the projects going on, and I saw... Uh, I think there's been some funding granted in terms of uh, some other projects in sort of like the enterprise zone area and some of it's I think it's to do with like NGD2 is it so there's some of it's in Derbyshire uh, some of the enterprise and I saw you know around the boots where they've just obviously just had the new cycle uh, cycle slash footbridge over yep. so there is there are things happening I think there's some of the work is to to sort of improve the, the canal towpath should be quite nice because there's a couple of bits of that that are a little bit hairy yeah that's right yeah, a couple of the bridges especially <laughs> you know um, but again that all seems to be the same side that's already had a lot of work done I guess partly yeah. I mean I guess it's always going to get a lot of work done there because of the university and things like that but again it, are we seeing any movement on improving things in other parts of the city that's a very important point to raise because it seems like the plans for the future when we are bidding for money from central government and planning our future cycle schemes and actually when it comes down to deciding which ones we're going to build they're quite often what I see as the easiest schemes to build politically there's not so much reallocation of road space away from motor traffic towards more sustainable transport modes. It's more improving some infrastructure that perhaps already exists, yeah. bringing it up to a higher standard. But there are other parts in the city where there is no cycle infrastructure, where there are no cycle, where there are no convenient cycle routes of any quality at all. Where you have, where if you cycle, you have to share with high speed, high volume motor traffic. Tackling that and putting infrastructure in those on those roads is a difficult is a difficult proposition and takes some some guts and political guts to say this is what we want for our city. And I'm worried that maybe we're shying away from that a little bit. The project that we that happened on Castle Boulevard was transformative for that part of the city and it took I think a, quite a lot of political capital and guts to make it happen. But I'm a little bit worried that 
our politicians aren't willing to make those really hard decisions anymore. Yeah. Maybe they're sort of shying away from it a little bit. So I am worried that that we will see these projects which are, will be more difficult to deliver. I'm worried that we simply won't do it and we will quite happily spend all our money in parts of the city where it's a little bit easier to build more cycling infrastructure yeah. and to just improve the standard of cycling infrastructure rather than expanding the network of cycle route is expand rather than expanding the cycling network which i think we really have to do yeah we have to expand the cycling network to allow more people to enable to allow more people to make their journeys by bike not just improve the bits that we already have and i'm a little bit worried that that's what we're doing at the moment i i, I that's sort of how i see things these are the sort of things yeah. that are running through my head i think you probably i think part of that probably comes down to there's an effort dwindling <laughs> In, in recent years, there's been ever dwindling amounts of money made available to councils. So they get, like you said, they, they're going for the risk-averse options where they feel most likely that they'll actually get the money, maybe because they need less. Because obviously, the bigger the infrastructure, the bigger, the, you know, if, you, if you're putting a complete new infrastructure, cycling infrastructure in place in certain parts of the town, obviously that's a far bigger, costlier project yeah. than improvements and so they're looking at this and thinking well what what are we sure we can or what are we fairly certain we can get a yes on yes but also i think it's very it can be very difficult politically to try and transform our streets yeah um and i think that is probably where the biggest barrier is for making these decisions to build cycle infrastructure in something or other parts of the city it's those political difficult political decisions about reallocating road space i think we have to we have to start making but i don't know if we're there yet no well, it's, I, I mean that arguably is going to take a complete sort of uh, a change in thought and policy almost in in prioritizing that kind of it needs it arguably is going to take a complete sort of repriority of our transport system almost from up from up the top yeah to to integrate because as you say it's such a big political issue so you know that it it may it, it's going to take like either someone extremely you know brave enough to say this is what we want or it's going to have to come down and say look this is what needs to happen you know across the country yeah definitely across the country this isn't just a nottingham thing no. this is a countrywide thing I think that London are probably the city who are most experienced at delivering these really politically difficult schemes where they have reallocated significant amounts of road space towards cycling, especially in the, in the core of London. And you now see on bridges that go over the Thames and along the embankment alongside the Thames, these world-class cycle, cycle routes that used to be spaces for people to park cars or for spaces for people to drive along. And they made the very difficult political decision that they were going to build cycle routes and that it was for the benefit of the residents of their city. And it was good for the future of their city. But the person who was in charge when those were, um, when those were decided was Boris Johnson, the Mayor of London. 
and we know that he's the sort of politician who will try and push through these sorts of things that he wants to happen. So do we want a dictator who doesn't listen <laughs> and who pushes through what their ideas are? Well, maybe we do if they're on our side, but maybe uh, yeah. we don't if they're not on our side. Um, and we've seen, you see that in other parts of the country, for instance, in Liverpool, where the mayor a few years ago said, right, we've had enough of the war on the motorist. We will get rid of all our bus lanes and we can drive in them now because that's what we want for our city. It's that sort of from up on high decisions, top down policy that can either be good or bad for our cities, depending on your viewpoint. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Um, but I think that, especially in London, Something that allowed Transport for London to build their schemes was the support of the business community, some of the business community. There was a big backlash, or you might call it a bike clash, coming with these new cycle paths being installed. And cycle campaign groups in London mobilised. And they asked people who cycled in London to talk to their employers, their big... Uh, to their big global employees, some FTSE 100 companies, companies who are the big blue chip brand names who you know from around yeah. around the world, the IBMs, the Microsofts. And they asked their, their companies and, and their CEOs to write to Transport for London in support of these proposals and to say, we want these cycle, we want these cycle routes to be built because they're what our employees want. It allows us to attract talent to our city and we want that talent so we can employ them and we can do better in business. And that was something that the cycle campaigns of London facilitated. And I think that's where we, cycle campaigns around the UK, can really help. It's to align people behind this message that we want a more livable city with better public transport, with better cycling routes, which is better for walking, which is a nicer place to live. And we can make those decisions, which are politically difficult, easier for the politicians to make. Yeah. If we can align big groups of people in our city behind those, then we can make it easier for politicians to make those decisions that we think are good for the future of our cities. That's where campaigning groups come back in yeah to the thing i guess another issue as well obviously you mentioned transport for london there which we don't have that sort of same they i think they've got obviously oversight for a big area while we've got you've got the city council county council different borough councils all under different wings in the city council and the county council themselves are both under different political yep, that's right. wings. So then you can see then if you want a city or county wide so if we're talking about not if you want a county wide thing, you've then got to bring those groups together. Yes. To and, and the boroughs discuss. as well. And the boroughs, yeah. So it, say some are one, the other. So it gets very complicated because in Nottingham City we have a what's called a unitary authority where we have both the transport authority, the people who control the roads in the same organisation as the planning authority who control uh, planning applications and the local plan which controls the vision that we want to see for private development in the city. But, and those are aligned in Nottingham City Council. But in Nottinghamshire, we still have the boroughs. We still have Nottingham, Nottinghamshire County Council who control 
the transport network, the, all, the, all the roads in Nottinghamshire. Then we have the borough councils like Rushcliffe and Arnold and Broxstow, yeah. who control the, the, um, the planning authority. So these are the people who set the local plan and say what developments can happen in the city. And really, you need those to be aligned so that your planning decisions are aligned with your transport decisions. Uh, to you know, so everything is a little bit more holistic, but that I think is a lot more difficult to do in the county. Yeah, so that again is why groups like pedals are so important. Um, so on that, um, before I sort of wrap us up shortly, but if people are listening to this and are, are interested in finding out more about pedals as an organisation, what's where's the best places for the to uh, sort of connect with you guys? Well, you can find us on social media, on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, we've got a website, which is pedals.org.uk. I think it is. You can just search for pedals. Um, and you can join Pedals as a member uh, for a few pounds a year and help us to keep campaigning. Um, and we can connect you with other members of Pedals around the city so that we can we can be an effective campaigning group because that's what we're about. We want to be an effective campaigning group to influence our city to change for the better. And if you're on board with that and want us to help, if you want to help us do that, then join Pedals on our website. Excellent. And I know you have meetings and gatherings. And I would also say as well, there's some brilliant resources on the website. As I've looked at it, there's, a, you know, there's all sorts of links to the different cycle route websites and things like that to uh to places if you're maybe someone that's not cycled before or not cycled for a long time there's there's things like i think ride wise links to places like that so there's some great resources as well as obviously all the information on yeah. the things you do so it's a great hub in itself the website if you're one of these people who would like to cycle but where the roads put you off where you don't feel that our city's transport network enables you to cycle then write to your councillors or talk to your councillors about it explain to them say that you would love to cycle that you would love to make more of your journeys by bike with your children with your friends and with your family and let them know that you support measures that they put in place to create a better cycling network for Nottingham that's the most important thing that people can do let politicians know who make the decisions that you're on board with these things because they tend to hear from people who aren't on board with the aren't on board with this change the most so yeah that's that's what i recommend and especially with these personal stories yeah you know where people say i, I used to cycle to school as a child but now i'm not gonna let my children cycle no. to school because of the roads and we need to let our politicians know that that can be changed and that people do support change so thank you to Matt Turner from Pedals who joined us for that discussion. It was great to chat to Matt. Um, I think we covered an awful lot there and it was very interesting to see his take on Nottingham's cycling infrastructure and particularly in comparison to other parts of the UK and you know, also how far the UK as a whole is behind places like the Netherlands. Um, I mean, I'd love that sort of setup they've got there that he was talking about where you can sort of cycle along lovely routes, go on family uh, cycle rides and things like that it sounds great 
Um, I do recommend whether you're a cyclist or whether you're interested in cycling, um, check out pedals at pedals.org.uk. Um, as we touched on in the show, obviously, your feelings towards cycling, uh, whether it be to work or for leisure, may vary vastly depending on the part of city or the county that you live in. But as he, as uh, Matt mentions, you know, if you want to see better cycling infrastructure in your area, then you need to let the people who make the decisions, the councillors, the MPs and that, know. Um, otherwise, it won't happen. Before I move on, though, I just wanted to mention, in regards to cycling, is a group that I've found on uh, Facebook. They're called Nottingham Bike Works. And I learned about these a few weeks ago when they were doing a big uh, sort of giveaway of donated bikes, particularly, I think it was children's bikes. It was hugely popular. It's a fantastic thing. But they also have a whole host of other stuff going on. Uh, they had a recent, they had a sort of ride out, uh, sort of for easygoing people. They do workshops and all sorts of things. So you can go along and you can learn how to do basic sort of maintenance on your bike. I do. I think they even do some city and guilds type training. So I would recommend checking them out if you want to know more about bike riding or getting back into it. That's a, You can find them on Facebook at facebook.com Nottingham Bike Works. So I want to recommend them. Uh, as I mentioned in the show, Pedals has got loads of resources on it. You know, they've got uh, links to things like RideWise who can help you with getting, you know, starting cycling, learning to ride a bike or refreshing it if it's been a long time. There's maps to you know, like the Nottingham cycle routes and things like that and places where you can plan cycle routes and a whole host of other stuff. So check that out and hopefully get more you out on the bike. And, uh, you know, the more people that are riding as well, of course, the more likely that we'll get better infrastructure across the city and the county, which is what we really need, you know. It make, it's much, much nicer for the environment, much nicer for the city, much safer for our streets. But again, thanks to Matt for joining us. Once again, thanks for Sobar for hosting us. Uh, make sure you check them out. Cafe Sobar on Friar Lane. Uh, you know, the brilliant little cafe associated, with, of course, with Double Impact, uh, who who work with people recovering from substance abuse. And it's a great, it's, it's not, I think it's Nottingham's first and perhaps still only alcohol-free cafe, uh, bar and cafe. They also do some amazing food in there as well, and they have some great events on, so check them out. As I said, they're on Friar Lane, sort of uh, more or less next to sort of South Bank City. So that's this week's episode roundup. Before I move on, next week's guest is Olympic gold medal winning uh, canoeist Etienne Stott. He won a gold in the 2012 London Olympics and he's now a prominent member of Extinction Rebellion. He joined us to talk about the recent rebellion sort of event that took takeover event that took place in London you'd have seen a lot of uh, not particularly positive uh, media coverage of that for most parts um, we talk about obviously the the reaction to it the importance of it the extinction rebellion's grown the incident on the tube which obviously was uh, arguably a massive low point uh, we mentioned briefly about the police reaction this year, which is interesting because obviously just this week the courts ruled that the police has moved to ban the protest was illegal, which is a hugely important victory for Extinction Rebellion and protesting in general. And, you know, protesting is a fundamental um, 
fundamentally important part of British democracy, the right to protest. So that was key, but that was a great chat. And of course, we talk a little bit about, you know, winning a gold medal because, you you know, you can't not talk about it. was great. That was a great. And that'll be episode 20 of NG Meets. So it's a little milestone there. But we haven't stopped there because the week after that, my guest is author Mike Brooks. Uh, Mike has written, or is probably best known, I guess, for writing the Keiko trilogy uh, of books. He's got a new book series coming out that we talk about, and he's also writes for Games Workshop. So it was great to sit down and speak to Mike. I've known Mike for quite a long time, largely from his music background, but it was great. So I'm a big fan of his books. I can see them all piled up on my bookshelf here while I'm talking. So that's the show coming up we've got some more guests lined up we'll be recording over the next couple of weeks uh, i'll let you know about them once they're all in the bag but some great guests coming up working on more obviously as we get nearer to christmas um we'll uh you know perhaps i'll be looking at wrapping up this season but we're going to be looking at doing some shows around things over christmas as well and uh, some important issues relating to around christmas as ever, you can get in touch with us. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, facebook.com forward slash ngdigital at ngdigitaluk on Twitter. If you want to get in touch with us there, you can. And, uh, you know, let us know what you think of the show. Let us know you'd like to hear on the show. And uh, anything else you've got to say. But it's been great. Thank you again for joining us. And thank you even more so if you managed to get through all of my waffle at the end here. But we'll be back, as I said, next week for NG Meets episode 20 with Extinction Rebellion member and Olympic gold medal winner Etienne Stott. But for now, it's goodbye.